So I wanted to get back to it in this particular sermon series, and we're going to launch from that today. So John 20, look at verse number 21. This is Jesus post-resurrection. He has already died. He has already been buried. He has already raised from the dead. Now he is revealing himself to his disciples. He's already revealed himself to Mary Magdalene. He's about to reveal himself to Thomas, the doubter, in that famous episode. And he's with his disciples, and he says to them this. Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So if you were reading this in Latin, which I know that most of you are not, uh, when you came across the word send or sent, you would read the Latin word missio. That is where we get our English word mission. So you don't see the word mission or missionary in this text per se, but it certainly is there. Some of you would remember the old English word for a letter. A letter was called a missive. It was derived from this in particular, and it means that to be on mission is to be sent. And what Jesus is saying in John 20, 21 is, I'm a missionary, and I want you all to be missionaries too. The Father sent me, he missioed me, he put me on mission, and so I want to put you on mission as well. I want you to be a missionary. He's saying that his life is marked by sentness. I know it's not a word, but it's marked by sentness. And he's saying, I want to send you as well. And beyond that, he says that my mission is the model. As the Father sent me, even so send I you. So in the same way that I was sent, I want to send you. You say, okay, what's his mission? How is his mission the model? Well, Jesus was sent on a dangerous rescue mission to save his people from their sins. And if you read verse 23, two verses later, we're not going to today for sake of time, but he starts to talk about repentance and forgiveness of sins. And what Jesus is saying is that I want people to be converted to me. I want people to be in a relationship with God uh, through me. I want them to know the gospel. You could put it this way. This is John's version of the Great Commission. There are famous passages in Mark and in Matthew that have been dubbed the Great Commission. This is John's version of this. He is slapping a postage stamp on his disciples, and he's saying, I'm sending you back into the world. We learned in John 17 that he called his disciples out of the world to be unique and to be like him, and now he sends them back into the world to be on mission. But he sends them this way in verse number 22. When he had said this, said what? Go be a missionary like me. I've come to seek and to say that which is lost, so you go do the same. Show them my love, declare my message, be bearers of truth. But after he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now I'll review this verse because we did cover it a few months ago, but I'll review it briefly. Some have looked at this and said, Didn't the, like I know a little bit about the Bible, Pastor. Didn't the Holy Spirit come to the apostles, to the disciples at Pentecost? And you would be right about that. The Holy Spirit did in fact come at Pentecost and he did not come at this instant. And Jesus was not saying that the Holy Spirit is coming at this instance. And I, I could reference other verses to show you that. But what he's saying is that the time frame is now, that this is imminent, this is about to happen. I am leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming. So if you take these together, what Jesus is asking for from his disciples, what I would contend Jesus is asking for from his church even to this day is a church moving into the world, unafraid, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim the message of Jesus, to proclaim the Christian gospel, that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus is the only way to receive forgiveness of sins and peace with God, and that's what the church is supposed to be about. 
Now, there are other things the church is supposed to be about. We'll look at those in the, in the weeks to come. But part of the core of what the church is supposed to be is supposed to be spirit-filled missionaries. Remember Jesus' actual last words? He has a lot of last words. Really, all of his words post-resurrection or even right before his death till he ascends are last words. But his actual, like, last, last words right before his ascension is Acts 1-8 when he says that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Somebody say witnesses. All right, half of you are paying attention. That was decent. You'll be witnesses unto me. What's a witness? Well, if you go to a courtroom tomorrow, you're going to find that there's a judge, there's a prosecutor, there's a defense, and he's saying, I don't want you to be any of those. I want you to be the one who takes the witness stand, who says, I swear to tell the whole truth, and you tell your story. Here's, here's what I know to be true. Here's what I saw. Here's what's happened to me. Here's what I've experienced. You just be a witness. He's saying, that's what I want for my church. I want my people to be moving through life, testifying and witnessing of what he has done. Now, this is important for us to understand. And honestly, this is my job as a pastor to remind us as a church that this is what we need to be about. A, because the Bible says so and God wants it. But B, church researchers tell us that the older a church gets and the bigger a church gets, generally, the more they lose sight of this. When a church is born, it's a new church, a new church plant, there's whatever, 15 people meeting in somebody's living room, then that church understands the only way they're going to grow is if those 15 people get the word out. And not just about, hey, there's a church, you should come, but about Jesus. That They, they can't outsource it to the other 500 people that are, that are there at church with them. It's just those 15. You know, it's three families, it's four families. They have to do it. So generally speaking, in a new church, there is a one-to-one ratio on those that are in the church and those that actually want to open their mouth and share the gospel. There's, there's basically a one-to-one, that everybody who's there understands we're on mission. And a new church doesn't have a lot of money, a lot of programs, a lot of things for the kids, a, a nursery, a this or that. All they got is we're going to get together, we're going to love Jesus and worship him, we're going to study his word, we're going to love each other, and we're just going to share Jesus with our community as best we possibly can. If you fast forward three years, and now that church is no longer new, but it's three years old, there now is a three-to-one ratio. That for every three people in the church, one will share the gospel actively. Because it's becoming a little bit more complex. Now there are, you know, there's, there's more things to deal with internally. You fast forward to 10 years and the ratio is 8 to 1. For every 8 people in church, one of them will actively share the gospel. Go forward 50 years. We're closer to 50 than we are to 10. The ratio, they say, is 89 to 1. 89 to 1. We're, we're a dozen years from being 50 years old as a church. So we're, we're somewhere in between what researchers would say. Why? The church early on concentrates on evangelism. That evangelism and wanting to get the message of Jesus to a lost world actually brings a church to its peak. And oftentimes at that peak, wherever it is, the church then be- begins to become preoccupied with pastoral care or preoccupied with the budget or preoccupied with making sure the systems work. And the church eats itself up. 
It becomes more and more internal focused, and in turn, it becomes less and less outward focused, and in turn, it begins to be this thing where the church no longer has nothing to unify. There's no longer this sense of mission that everybody is bought into, that everyone wants to be a part of, that, that we're just together, we want to share Jesus with people. Now there's all, these, there's all these competing interests. Well, I like my ministry. Well, I really want to care about the facilities. Well, I think this. Well, I think that. And because there's no unifier, then division begins to creep in, and the church begins to to kill itself. Why? Because it loses the heartbeat of everybody just being a spirit-filled missionary, of everyone wanting to share Jesus with people. And I want to ask and beg and plead, may that never be our story. I don't think it is our story today, but may it never be our story. May we never be the people that, that cease to remember that we're sent ones, We're missionaries. We're ambassadors for Jesus. We are the people who are supposed to go forward and give the good news that Jesus came, that Jesus loved, that Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the the dead to prove it, and, and that you can have a relationship with him if you'll just put your faith and trust in him. That should be us. That should be our heartbeat. Now, I want to, I want to just try to help you very practically and, and to help you see this priority, this vision that God has, and, and priorities and strategies that we've come up with as a church to try to support this. I'm going to help you connect the dots. So this, this is why we as a church do our best to love career missionaries and to invest in world evangelism. Now, I use the term career missionaries because oftentimes people think a missionary, you know, that's that person who doesn't work a desk or doesn't own a small business. That's the person who goes, you know, across the seas and they spend every hour of every day sharing Jesus. And that's not true. All of us are missionaries. But there, there is such a thing as a career missionary, someone who does not work a desk job, but actually they, they go and they plant a church perhaps in a different country where someone uh, doesn't know the gospel. But that's why we, we want to love those people. That's why we want to invest so much money this year and last year and the year before that and the year before that. We will pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into more than 100 missionaries that are all over the world. And we celebrate these from time to time and we, and we talk about them today. My goal is not to introduce you to specific ones, but, but to say we want to do this. Why? Because we understand the importance of this. Our most basic question when we are considering partnering with a missionary financially, our most basic question is do they evangelize people? Do they, through public preaching or even through just private conversations, do they share the good news of Jesus? That, that's essential. This is why as a church it's a great idea for you to go on mission trips and we try to provide you opportunities to go on mission trips. We, for years now, have at least done one, but oftentimes we'll do many more than that in a given year. This year, we've already announced our biggest one is to Mexico this summer in July. Maybe it's late June, I forget exactly. But uh, if you want to sign up for that or you haven't already, all the information's on the website at harvestbaptist.info missions. You can look at that. You can register for that. But beyond the one that we're personally running and financing and taking care of, which is unbelievably affordable for you to go to Mexico, there's another 19 that we're partnered with medical missions that you can go. If you want to go on a mission trip in March or in April or in May or in September or in August, you can. You can get your passport, you can go, you can sign up, and it would be a good idea for you to. Some of you, this would be a great way to live out this particular uh, core value that, hey, I want to I want to go be missional. I want to spend my time and money and energy, and I want to invest myself in that way. 
This is why we have different events that you can strategically invite friends and family to. You know, why are we going to do here in a couple weeks, we're going to do a, a sportsman's night, okay? You're not doing it because I'm great at that, I'll tell you that much. That's it, it's not my cup of tea particularly. Are we doing it just because, you know, we, we should love hunting and fishing? I'll tell you the truth, okay? We'll put all the cards on the table. We're doing it because we want people to come, have a good time, yes, but we want them to hear the gospel. You can bet your bottom dollar when people are there that night, we're going to share the gospel with them. A lot of them already know Jesus. A lot of them will be Christian. Some of them won't be Christian. We're going to share the gospel with them. It will be a unique opportunity. That's why we have even vacation Bible schools or friend days or some of the things we do here as a church to provide you an opportunity. I've already asked this person 18 times to come to church with me. They won't. Here's maybe a new opportunity. Or maybe I've never asked them, but here's, you know, it's easier. It's accessible for me to invite them now. This is why as a pastor I give people a chance to respond to the gospel every single Sunday. At the, at the end of the sermon, we will actually have some time where if you don't know Jesus today, you can come into a relationship with him. I don't do that just to be perfunctory. I don't do it because our Constitution says I have to. I don't do it because it's something that you've told me you expected of me. We do it because we, we want to give people the opportunity to respond to Jesus. We want to share the message. I do it even because I want you to have peace of mind that if I bring a friend or a family member or a coworker and they don't know Jesus, that they're going to have an opportunity. I, I can rest assured that, that that's going to happen for them, that they'll have a chance to accept Jesus. That's why we want to plant churches. That's why we want to, we celebrated back in October some of the five or six different people that we've partnered with recently to help get different uh, churches planted in Connecticut and Hawaii, all over the world. And, and that was a lot of fun that Sunday, but it's why we invest money there. It's why we do that. It's why we just here a couple weeks ago put $6,000 into Legacy, uh, this church over on the, in the South Hills. And they're a young church and, and don't have a lot, but they saved up enough money to buy a, uh, some land. And they're just now getting established, and we want to help them get established. Why? Because every church should have land. That's what the Bible says. No. We want to do it because we want them to be rooted in their community and have the opportunity to share the gospel with as many people as possible. People that, frankly, we're not going to get over to the South Hills that much. But, but they will. This is why as a church we, we have the desire and, and the idea to actually plant a church from us. It's not just, hey, someone you know, is planting a church, we should partner with them. But we feel that we're the maturity and have the resources that we as a church should start to do some of this ourselves. We've talked about this a couple different times. Frankly, some of our plans have been pushed back a little bit because this thing called 2020 and COVID, and it's, it's just, you know, throwing a lot of things off kilter. But that, that's still something that we're aiming at, something that we're saving towards, something that we want to happen because there's people 40 minutes. Some of you drive 40 minutes to church, I know, but by and large, people aren't going to drive 40 minutes to church. They're going to need a church in their community to share the gospel with them. This, this, what I'm trying to say is this. This connects to so much of what we do as, as a ministry, this idea of we want to be sent ones. We want to be telling people the good news of Jesus. This is why we do a TV ministry. It's, it's not because I think that digital church or, or, you know, home church watching us on TV is a great way to do church. I, you cannot actually really do church the way God wants it that way. You, you really can't. But I understand that the gospel will get into a lot of homes and a lot of people's ears and a lot of people's hearts through that ministry. This, this is something that we as a church body, I feel, do well. I think we as a church body, if I'm honest, as a pastor, appreciate. I think that you guys as a church family support this with your heart and even with your resources. But I don't think that's enough. I think it's important that you know 
that this is big to us. I think it's important that, that we celebrate this together, that we put some strategy and we put some priorities and we put some money in this. But it's not enough because if you're not careful, you'll say, hey, we're 38 years old. Hey, I mean, we've, you know, we're, we're a decent-sized church and there's a lot of people. So the church has strategies and the church has priority, and the church does that. Man, that's awesome. And I'm part of that church. And I know them. They really want to share the gospel with people. But you will, you will cease to take the responsibility personally. This, I love that we want to do this corporately. But if we do it corporately and cease to do it individually, we've missed it. This has to filter down to not just us, we do this, but I do this. Is this God's desire for his church? Yeah, absolutely. But it's God's desire for you. That you be a spirit-filled missionary. That you be a sent one. You say, me? Yeah, you. Like the person sitting in your seat, the, the person on your driver's license, the one your spouse married, you. He wants that for you. You say, okay, pastor, I'm going to need a little more help then. Because corporately, I can just say, yeah, I love the vision. I'll give some money. You know, check the boxes. Cool. But individually, what does that mean for me individually? How would I work that out in my life? And I'm here to tell you as your pastor, it's not all that complicated. And I'm glad it's not. It's not that complicated to go into the world as a sent one and to be a spirit-filled missionary. Here are three things you need to know. Number one, how do you do this? Personally, in your own time, at work, in the neighborhood, at the, at the backyard barbecue. How do you do this? Number one, be a close and clean worshiper. I want to show you how this is connected to last week and how these two are so married to each other. These are separate commands. To love God with all your heart is different than be a spirit-filled missionary. But oftentimes, they, they are linked to each other. And there's massive interconnectivity. So you would find in the scriptures things like this. Philippians 2 would tell you, don't complain and don't argue. Okay, That's talking about how to live in this life, how to be a, a holy person, how to be different from the world. Don't complain, don't argue. Why? So that the world will be drawn to Jesus. What it says is that you'll be a light in darkness. Because people love to complain. And people, I don't know if you've noticed this, like on social media or in the news or whatever, people like to fight about stuff. And when you don't, that's different. It's a, it's a light to the world. It's a testimony to people. You'd find in Hebrews 12 that you should live peaceably and that you should live holy so that people will see God. You'd find in 1 Timothy that you should pray for those in authority, talking about our governing leaders, that you pray for those in authority and then, contrary to popular belief nowadays, live a quiet and peaceable life in regard to those that are in authority. And it says, so that this will be a witness. Like this will stand out. This will be different. This will cue someone into like there's something different going on in their heart, their mind, or they obviously view this different. The point is that you'd be a witness. John 17, I want you to look at this. We'll put it on the screen right here. John 17 is this prayer right before Jesus goes to the cross. And, and it's deep and it's, it's unbelievably awesome. But part of this prayer is verses 17, 18, and 19 where Jesus prays this for his people. He says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does sanctify mean? It means set apart. That they're holy, that they're different, that they're unique, what I'm calling clean, that they live a clean life. Then he says, and thou hast sent me into the world on mission. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So what you have is verse 17, 
Father, sanctify them, make them holy. Verse 19, Father, sanctify them, make them holy. Right in the middle, verse number 18, I'm on mission, they're on mission, I was sent, they're sent. Why, why is that sandwiched in between holy, holy? It's because there's interconnectivity between them. That those two are meant to go together. That when Jesus sent his 12 disciples into the world, think with me, what did he send Peter and John and James? What did he send them into the world with to be a witness? Did he send them with evangelization manuals? Did he send them with clever marketing strategies, how to do a good TV spot? Did he send them with a bunch of books? Hey guys, you need to know how to be a great public speaker. He sent them with holiness. He sent them with lives that were different, and the world was changed. This helps you understand why you want to grow in personal holiness. Why? Why would I grow in personal holiness? For Jesus' sake? Yeah, absolutely. But also for the world's sake, for your witness, that your life would reflect Jesus and people would see something different in you. This is why it is far more effective for you to share Jesus with those that are in your circle of influence than it is for me to share Jesus with them through the sermon. I'm not saying that my sermon's ineffective, but what, what I would say is that you sharing with them is far more potent. Why? Because they don't know my life. They don't know how I live. They don't hang out with me in the backyard. They don't work eight hours a day with me. They don't spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with me, but they do with you. And they see your life, and they know your life. And if your life is lived this way, your witness would be far more effective. You say, well, no, I don't know, Pastor. Like, I mean, you like, I don't know, you can talk to people, and you know how to say stuff, and it doesn't intimidate you. I mean, I'm not that way. I'm more introverted. Well, I mean, they have questions. And you, didn't you go to seminary or something? Like, wouldn't you know how to answer their questions? I don't know how to answer, know how to answer all those questions. That is all way, way down the totem pole. You just having a close and clean life and actually being with them and sharing Jesus with them will go way further than, than I would, even if I would know more questions than you would. And that's not to say that I do. It's just to say that you sharing with people is far more effective because it's, it's attached to and coupled with your life. Your life with those that are around you is the best argument for or against Christianity, one or the other. We are to be a witness and open our mouth, yes, but we're also supposed to be part of the evidence. People are supposed to see us and see who we are, and it's supposed to draw them to Jesus. So, number one, you want to do this personally, be a close and clean worshiper. Be close to Jesus. Be clean with him. Number two, be genuine. Okay, this is, the, the real heart of evangelism hinges on, on this little truth. Just don't hide who you are. Just be genuine. Don't hide what's going on in your heart. Don't hide what's going on in your life. Naturally, let people know who you are. You say, what, what do you mean? Do you ever talk to someone about how you're dealing with a problem in your life? You ever talk to someone at work about the stress factors that are in your life and how you're trying to cope with them? You ever talk to somebody about the decisions you make or the priorities you set or what you're putting your money to? Now, if you're a Christian 
and you're slow to talk about how Jesus is always a part of the priorities you set, that Jesus is always a part of the, of the way you decide where your money goes, that Jesus is always a part on how you handle the problems and how you handle stress and how you cope with the death of a loved one. If you're slow to talk about how Jesus is part of that, and not even just part of that, maybe even the core of that, then you are naturally, you are dampening the level of transparency that should happen as you interact with someone. And I would argue that you're being less than genuine. That you're, that you're actually holding back, being less than transparent. And I know that people don't want to hear it sometimes, but the point is that it's unnatural for you to have something that is at the core of your being, that you say that this is really a, a huge part of who I am, but yet you're my friend or you're someone I spend a lot of time with or, or you're my neighbor and, and we just talk. And I'm going to take that thing that's at the core of who I am, Jesus, and I'm going to push him out to the periphery and I'm, I'm just going to ignore him and I'm going to talk to you about my life as if that's not at the core. That's less than genuine. I, I would even go so far as to say it's wrong. It's inauthentic. And in my experience, people can appreciate even if they don't agree with it, people can appreciate the fact that here's how you handle this or here's how you look at this or here's why this has helped you, that, that people, they get it. And, and if you're halfway loving and not crazy, they'll appreciate it and they'll let you share your life and your story and be genuine about who Jesus is to you. I understand that relationally the third rail that you shouldn't touch is religion and politics, okay? I understand that the, the, the cliche is, well, you talk about anything, just don't talk about religion and politics. Which, by the way, everybody throws that politics one out the window every four years, so, you know, that's already gone. I get that people say that. But I, I don't think that it, that it matches genuineness. If you're genuine or authentic, or you just want to share who you are, what Jesus is doing in your life, then you naturally, you have to go there. And, and it shouldn't be all that complicated. Like, you shouldn't even need, like, a training manual for it or, or a ton of teaching on it. It's, it's just be genuine. Let, let me see if I can illustrate. Raise of hands, how many of you are grandparents in the room? Grandparents, all right? Keep, keep your hands raised. If uh, you are proud to be a grandparent and you love that you're a grandparent, Okay. We got some hands shooting higher. I got some double hands going up. I got John George, new, well, you're not a new grandparent, but a new grandbaby this week. Baby Everett, congratulations to you guys, okay? Just keep your hands up. If you have a picture or photos or videos that you oftentimes just share with people that are, that are around you. I don't, I don't think any, okay, thank you. You can put your hands up. I don't think any hands went down. Why? You are proud to be a, a grandparent. You love that grandparent or that grandkid. That grandkid gives you tremendous satisfaction and joy. It's a part of your life. So you naturally evangelize other people. You, you tell them why your grandkid's the best, why they're awesome. What are you doing? You're sharing the good news. That's evangelization, sharing good news. You naturally do that. I don't have to tell you to. There was no grandparent class. There was no class that said, okay, here are the five rules of being a grandparent. You're not going to want to talk to someone about your grandkids, but, you know, you should. It's kind of a cultural thing. You, should, you just do it instinctively, don't you? You're genuine. It's authentic. It comes out of you. Why would Jesus be any different? 
This person who is at the center of your life, this person who brings you joy, this person who means so much to you, this person that you love, why would it be any different to share them with someone? I would contend it's not. Live a life that's close and clean, be genuine, and then lastly, just remember the genius. Go study the people in the Gospels that Jesus comes into contact with and they believe on Jesus. And then he sends them out on mission. Look at their lives. Read the story of the woman at the well in John 4. Read the story of the maniac of Gadara in Luke chapter number 8. The people who met Jesus and were changed by Jesus, they immediately begin sharing him with other people. And you know what they don't have? They don't have seminaries to go to. Oftentimes they don't even have a church to go to. They don't have tons of training time with Jesus. The maniac of Gadara actually asked Jesus, Jesus, take me with you, make me your disciple. And Jesus was like, nah, I'm not going to. Like, we've had 24 hours, it's enough. Like, just go tell them all the great things I've done for you. 24 hours, that was it. And they go and they share and they open up. And the reason they're able to do it is not just because they're authentic, it's because they discovered the genius of Christianity. They discovered what the difference was between what Jesus had to offer and all the religions of the world and what they had to offer. You say, Pastor, what is that? What's the difference? What's the genius? All of the other religions, basically the founder comes along and says something like, here is the way, here are the pillars of truth, here's the path to enlightenment, here are the the 18 commands you need to keep, here's what to do. If you do this, then you will have peace with God, you will have access to the divine, you will have the smile of of the heavenlies, however they want to phrase it. And Jesus comes along and says, no, not what you do, not where you go, not what you say. This is, it's, it's not a way, these truths. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection. It's me. The people who evangelize and evangelize well in the pages of Scripture are people who get that genius and they just point people to Jesus. It's that simple. It's just he's he's the one who came. He's the one who is God. He is the one who loved us enough to die for us. He paid for your sins. It's just pointing people to Jesus over and over and over again as authentically as you possibly can while living a clean life. That's it. It's it's not an 18-step. You don't need any more than this. You don't need a a massive training manual on this. This is great news for you because if you want to share your faith and you want to be a spirit-filled missionary, it's not very complicated. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions. To be clear, I'm for you learning. I'm for you studying. And we're going to talk about that here in a couple weeks. But you don't have to do all of that to, to be an evangelist. You don't even have to be able to read and write. If you're in this room and you say, I can't. Even, I'm illiterate, I can't even read and write. It's fine, you can still be a spirit-filled missionary. You can share your faith with other people. So my, my, my imploring to you, is it on one hand to appreciate this, that God wants this and we want to be this, and here are some things we prioritize as a church and we should get behind those? Yeah, it is on one hand, but it's more than that. It's personal. It's live a life that backs up your message. Don't hide who he is to you or what he's done for you, even if you think they may not appreciate it. And remember the genius. Just point them to Jesus over and over and over again and share your faith. Would you bow your heads and enter a time of prayer with me? If you're a Christian in the room right now, I want you just to talk to the Lord. There may be things that are going on that I haven't even touched on in the sermon that you just need to talk to him about, but perhaps you want to right now 
take inventory of your life and say, God, I know that there are, there's that and that and that, and it shouldn't be, and that's dampening my witness, and the greatest thing I can do for my witness is just to repent of it, and, and God, I want to lay it down. Perhaps there's friends or family that you've shared Jesus with over and over again, or, or maybe you haven't, but you want to, and you just want to pray for them by name. Maybe you want to pray for boldness in your witness. That would be a great thing to pray for. Lord, would you make me bold? Perhaps you just want to pray for an opportunity to, to share Jesus today. God, give me the wisdom to see those opportunities as they come. Give me the courage to take them. But would you right now, in the quietness of this moment, just you and God, I know it's not noisy, I know there's not a lot going on, and that's okay. Would you just right now talk to him, maybe confess, maybe ask for help, but commit this to him? Now, if you're in the room and you would say, Pastor, I'm not a Christian, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, then I want you to know this. I want you to know that listening to Je- or believing on Jesus is not that complicated of a thing. If you believe that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior, if you believe that Jesus came down from heaven to be your Savior and that he died for you on a cross, he was buried and he rose again, then the Bible says he'll save you if you'll reach out to him in faith. And if you don't know him as Savior, I want to encourage you right now, just take a moment and reach out to the Lord. Receive him. You can do that simply by praying. Like it's, it's not complicated. I'll even help you in what to pray. But if you will genuinely and sincerely from your heart right now pray to God and say something like this. These aren't magic words, but just something like this. If you just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I fall short. And I know I can't save myself or forgive myself. So I'm trusting in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. Jesus, I want you to know I'm trusting in you and you exclusively. I'm not trusting in my own good works. I'm not trusting in other gods. I am receiving you and I'm declaring that you are Lord of my life. If you will do that, once again, it doesn't have to be those exact words, but if you will call on him sincerely, he will come to your life and he will save. Lord, we stop and we pause right now to thank you by faith for those that will receive you because of your word this morning. Lord, whether it's in the first service or in this particular service, or Lord, maybe someone in live stream, or maybe someone who's watching this next week as part of our TV ministry, or maybe someone who finds this sermon months from now. Lord, we we pray expecting that you're going to use your word to draw people to yourself and to bring them into relationship with you. Lord, we We thank you for that, and Lord, we pray for those that receive you, that you would bless them, Lord, that you'd guide them, that you would direct them. I pray that they would begin to grow, and that they would begin to understand the joy that is relationship with you. Father, we love you, and we ask that we would be this church, that we'd be people that are close and clean and worship you, but Lord, that we'd be people that are spirit-filled missionaries. You sent us, and so we accept the mission, Lord, and help us to never lose sight of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this.